This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Please be sure to subscribe and share with friends and family. To help support this ministry, please visit allentempleamec.com slash donate. Thank you for listening. Greetings in the name of the Lord. Yes. First off, I want to thank Pastor Hugh, the Reverend Dr. Hugh, who's blazing a, tra- a trail for me and for many. Thank you, First Lady. Thank you, First Lady, for your role in his life, your role in this church, your role in the kingdom. As I was watching the people of God worship, as I was worshiping myself, I I just sensed that you have the calling to be an ambassador in the kingdom. An ambassador who could be trusted to go to the big people. And not be enamored by power and position, but by purpose. Part of my prophetic personality and gifting is is I'm unaware sometimes of how God speaks through me and to other people. I didn't know that I was challenging uh, (laughs) Reverend Hugh back then. But I thank, I thank God that he's given me this report today that even then, before I was aware of that gifting and how it moves, that there was something moving. Last time I was here, my wife, we brought my wife and two of our three sons, who were teenagers at the time. We came here as home the Sunday after the Emmanuel Nine were martyred in Charleston, South Carolina, a number of years ago. God sent us here because God knew that this would be the place where we would hear something from the pulpit about the state of the church, the state of the nation, and our calling to be ministers of reconciliation. We heard an inspirational message. I'll never forget it. The lying the Lion of Judah sleeping in the boat when it seems like nothing is going your way and God isn't paying attention, that he's asleep at the wheel. That the lion was awakened and was taking charge. It was a great message and it was balm to my soul and it was healing to my heart that morning. This was home for me today. Then as it is today. And so I thank you for your warm welcome. Thank you, Reverend Ken, for that powerful reading of that scripture today. In the back before service, I said, uh, Reverend Ken, uh, anybody tell you you have a, a, a powerful recording voice? He goes, yeah, I have a, I've been told I have a, a, a face for radio and a voice for TV. He doesn't take himself too seriously. It's always a good sign. But that's powerful. You have a gift of exhortation. And you're using it. I want to call our attention to the passage he read for us earlier. This time I want you to hear it. This is Acts chapter 10, verses 30 through 33. This time I want you to hear it for the sending of God. I want you to hear it with this theme, 
the sending of God. Acts 10, verse 30. And Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing. It said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send, therefore, to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon the Tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Amen. Amen. So God sends. There's a whole lot of sending going on in this passage, but part of the broader story of Peter and Cornelius, a whole lot of sending. For years and continuously, the scripture says, Cornelius sent his prayer to a God whose name he didn't know. Mm-hmm. But he was living in a li- his life in a way that aligned with the ways of God. He just didn't know the fullness of God yet. He was sending alms to the poor Mm -hmm. whose names he may not have known. Praying to God whose name he didn't know, sending alms for the poor, many of whom he didn't know their names. Mm -hmm. Finally, this has come up before God in the throne room, and it's Cornelius' turn to have an encounter with the living God. God sends an angel and gives Uh, gives him a a message of affirmation about who he was and how he was created, that God sees him, and he sends him an instruction. Send men to Joppa to fetch Peter and bring him back. The next morning, he gets up and sends those three men out. When those three men were en route from Cornelius' home, God sent Peter a vision while Peter was deep in prayer, most likely up on the roof of the house, up there, Mm -hmm. trying to get closer to God, trying to hear from God. God sends him a vision. Three times he sends him the vision, signifying its importance and the source that is from God. Then God sends him words to explain this vision This vision was a vision of a giant sheet descending from heaven. Intermixed on the sheet were all the creatures of the earth mixed in together. Peter was repulsed. The language in the scripture says uh, the sheet had creeping things, birds of the air and animals. Same language of Genesis, but it's a restatement for Peter a devout Jew, a kosher-keeping Jew, the idea that creeping things and the unclean animals like pigs would be mixed with the clean animals like sheep, that was repulsive to him. So God sent him words, Mm -hmm. and the words were these. Do not call unclean that which I have made clean. Well, preacher, well, say it. Do not call unclean that which I have made clean. You're calling it common. I have washed it clean. Peter was up there on his roof pondering, what does this mean? Peter had been on the journey of reconciliation. Mm -hmm. He's a devout Jew. 
but recently God had sent him into Samaria because reports had come to him about these people of Samaria accepting the message of Christ and even being uh, filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was breaking out. He had to be open for what God was showing him because the, Samarit the, the Samarians were people who had mixed traditional Judaism and covenant relationship with God that uh, required one worship of one God, yeah. and they were mixing it in for centuries with other types of worship. It was idolatry, but it was mixed with some good things, but corrupted. He couldn't imagine uh, God would have anything to do with these people. He saw a lot of that in Jesus' earthly ministry, but he didn't put it all together. So God sends him a dream. Okay, here's your opportunity, Peter. To, you've had these experiences. I've showed you. I've healed people in my earthly ministry, and now you're hearing about these Samaritans out there hearing my word and coming into the kingdom. Now I'm going to disarm your social and religious categories with this dream, and I'm going to do more than this dream. For behold, the word says, he sent him another set of words. Behold, behold, look and pay attention. I'm doing this. Behold, three men are outside. They want to see you. Go with them, for I have sent them. There's that word send again. Those are the three men of Cornelius. God sends these three men. The next morning, Cornelius sends out a message to his family, gathers his entire family to assemble at his home because a great man of God is coming with a message. So there's more sending. That morning, uh, Peter sets out with the three men. They come to the house. It's packed. People hear the word of Christ. They hear the story and they hear the invitation. They receive it. They accept Christ, and they're saved, and the Holy Spirit is sent by God the Father and by Jesus to come upon them, and they're filled with the Holy Spirit. That's a whole lot of sending in that passage. A whole lot of sending. So what's the rest of the story? Does it end there with Cornelius and his whole family being saved? No, it's a story that continues to unfold today because of that sending back then and the obedience you saw in Cornelius, Peter, the three men. What's the story un unfolding now? How many thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions can trace their genealogy in the spiritual tree, the, 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 the family tree, back to Cornelius's conversion. How many people did Cornelius influence in his realm because God sent him that, that angel, because God sent him Peter to hear that message? How many people were touched in his life through his witness as a powerful man in, in, in the Roman uh, Empire? How many people over the generations? It continues to reverberate and expand and multiply. We sometimes look at these stories and don't understand. Stories keep going. That's, and, and the rest of the story will not be fulfilled until the new kingdom comes in, the, in, in its fullness. Why is sending important? Romans 10 says it this way. All who call on the name of the Lord 
shall be saved. But how can they call on him whom they have not known? How can they know somebody of whom they've never heard? How can they have ever uh, heard anyone without being preached to them? And how can they be preached to unless someone was sent? Sending is good for many, many, many reasons and an essential part of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is about the giving and receiving of all things. And involved in that is ascending. Sending is important in three ways. Number one, it's good for the world. Number one, number one, it's good for the world. Number two, it's good for the church. Number three, it's good for the people who are being sent. Those three things, good for the world, good for the church, good for the people. Good for the world. God longs that every person on this earth would be able to hear, feel, and experience the presence of Christ coming through witness. Mm. That they could be transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Many, like Cornelius, are sitting in a position ripe and ready, but they need someone to be sent to them. It's not just eternal salvation that God sends people to. Today we honor Rosa Parks. Mm-hmm. What if Rosa wanted to sit back in her apartment in that very tough time and not agree to be sent as a person of stature in the community? She wasn't this little old lady with no authority and influence in the, in, in the community. She was respected. Absolutely. She had a lot to lose. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She was sent by God to be on that bus Mm -hmm. when there were people who would want to throw her under the bus, okay? When they're sending, there's risk. What would be the life here in America if Frederick Douglass Douglass never agreed to be sent from his position in Maryland in, in the enslaved condition to take a risk, huge risk? He took it. What if when he arrived in, in the Providence, uh, Rhode Island area, what if he just stayed there and got a comfortable life doing what he was familiar with doing, patching up ships with tar, doing some little carpentry work, and just getting married, having some children, and kind of just taking care of his own little postage stamp of the world? What, what, would, what would the world be like if Frederick Douglass didn't respond to God's sending to level up. He connected him with William Lloyd Garrison, the great abolitionist, but what would, what would the world look like if he didn't accept the call to be sent to form his own ministry of reconciliation where the black voice could be elevated to the top voice in that movement? No longer would he have to be playing the number two role where he could form his own publishing company and publish his own newspaper, and even in the end of Lincoln's life become his counsel. What would America look like without a Frederick Douglass? There's a lot of people we could honor in in those ways. Think of it this way. 
God sends us in many, many ways yeah. to many, many people according to the gifts, calling, and positioning that he's given each of you. There's destiny that is waiting to be unlocked in all of your lives mm -hmm. with cooperation. Can you imagine if the church wasn't sent to the world? Where would be the witness for salvation? Where would be the witness for justice? Where would be the witness for reconciliation? Where would be the witness for a kinder, gentler world? It's good for, sending is good for the church. You can hear it saturated in Pastor Hugh's language this morning and every Sunday. A church that becomes inward and doesn't send is a church that is becoming inward. Yeah. You spend too many years becoming an inward church, you become an inbred church. Yes. You look at the natural world and see what happens when species interbreed too much. Mm -hmm. There's deformity. Mm -hmm. There's loss of possibility. A church that sends is outward oriented. Yeah. It's looking at the world. How can we contextualize our experience with Jesus in this place? Be faithful to the traditions that God has raised you up in, but adapt and contextualize for the setting as it's changing around you. Mm -hmm. Sending is good for the church. So. The great Africa, uh, Scottish missionary to Africa, David Livingstone, mm -hmm. said it this way, a church that doesn't send, I'm going to paraphrase, is a church that doesn't have enough religion of its own to share, and it's doomed. Mm -hmm. If you don't have enough religion to share to the world, you're doomed at home. We have to be outward facing. Third, sending is good for the individual. What happened to Peter with all this sending? Well, his social categories were all messed up, weren't they? Jew, Gentile. He had to come down from his perch on that roof and go with those three Gentile men. That was a new thing for him, hang out with Gentiles. In fact, the night before, he invited them to stay the night. That was a new thing for a kosher-keeping Jew. He had to go into a Gentile's house, Cornelius. In, a, in, in the old Peter would have been felt contaminated by that experience. Mm -hmm. Sending is good for the individual. He was stretched. God was beginning to shape in Peter this calling to learn to adapt and contextualize your witness to people not like you. In the, in the early chapter of, uh, chapters of Acts, there's this sending out of God, of Jesus, before he ascends. He sends the disciples. You shall be my witnesses to Judea, Samaria, uh, and the ends of the earth. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. What does that mean? You will be my witnesses to people near and far from you who are like you and not like you. So it's the literal sense of Jerusalem. Yeah, there, there was some fulfillment of that literal sense, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. People who don't know Christ, people who know Christ a little bit, 
He's sending us. When we're sent, you get transformed. Could you imagine if Richard Wright, the, one of the founders of, a, of the AME tradition, was not sent by God to begin his own church, which turned into a denomination? What if Richard White Wright was satisfied being in those white uh, formal churches, reflecting an aristocracy of that age? He was a second-class citizen at best. If there was room for them in the second balcony, he could be there. No voting, no, no authority, no raising up, no nothing. He was a great man of God. If, what if he was satisfied with that postage stamp worth of influence? God sent him for great purposes. And look at the legacy. I know sending has been good for me. Um, like Pastor Hugh, I once had a thriving career in business. And, and there's something was brewing in me to do something more significant for God. Not that there was anything wrong with that, or I was called to it for a time, but for, after a while, a holy discontent began to brew in me didn't know anything about sending, calling, and all that. Mm -hmm. Well, I decided to take a step forward in faith. I left business without having any idea what I was supposed to do for God or with God. One of my first experiences was being sent on a mission trip by a pastor who noticed something in me, sent me to El Salvador. It's a poor nation right next to Guatemala where you're sending your mission team. There, I had an exposure of a lifetime. I found that my faith was about this thick, full of, of, of real faith compared to the saints there that I met. They had that much faith because they were in a crucible of poverty, and God met them in that place in, in a special way. I was, after 20 years of being in business and sort of in a tradition, investing in head knowledge, I picked up a sort of a rich young ruler persona. Um, I was a, a, a righteous guy. I followed all the rules. I thought if you did all the moral things, the right things, the good things, worked hard, then life would just turn out amazing for you like it was turning out for me. And then I go to El Salvador and I meet people who are way more faithful, whose Bibles are way more worn out. And you know, it wasn't judgmental of God. It was conviction of God that said, wow, there was a lot of work that's going to be done in my life. I was blown away by the people I met, their humility. And also what was done for me is it was beginning the process of breaking my worldview of how I thought Christianity worked and the world worked and how God works. I'm still moving in that. Like God is still moving us, shaping us, enlarging our minds and hearts for how God moves. I went from having a moralistic understanding of my faith, a meritocratic understanding of my faith. You do the right thing, everything's going to work out. You work hard. And then I'm in El Salvador watching people who are very hardworking, industrious, and moral, and there's still poverty. How do you explain that? Opens up a whole nother framework for how the world works. Good for the church, good for the person, 
good for the world. What are the problems when we zero in on, on, on some of these things? Sometimes people will use the language of sending as escape. God is sending me to this other place. I can't take it here anymore. It's a, God is, sending of God is purposeful, and it's meant to build you up and be a blessing to others. It's never supposed to be an escape hatch from your situation. You can't use sending. This is a counterfeit version of sending is escaping. There's a counterfeit version of sending in all these three dimensions. Sending is good for the church. But what if our sending to the overseas mission sort of scratches the mission itch, but we don't know how to send to the neighbors next door? Well, come on, preacher. Okay, Mount Vernon is 20% Latino. Mm -hmm. Have you reached into the storybook of their life? Mm. Have you understood a little bit about their language so you can relate at least to create a bridge? Any of you live next to Latinos? This is a challenge for us. That's right, it's a challenge. We can't be so heavenly minded on the sending to the ends of the earth and forget Judea, Samaria. That would be a counterfeit or a compromised version of that vision of God. What's the counterfeit for good for the, um, the world? When you just want to send the truth about God, but you really have contempt for, for the world. We see that in our, our expression right now in America where there's been a segregation of the sacred from the secular, so extreme where we have no ability to relate to those who are in our midst around us in this community because they're doing the unholy things and we see ourselves as the holy people of God. We have to be able to Go and follow the pathway of Peter and Paul and follow Christ to the end, crossing all these boundaries, agreeing to go into homes of people who are, I wouldn't call them the unbelievers, the not yet believers. We need to change our language from unbelievers to not yet believers. There needs to be some more optimism with how you see people and how God is representing already representing himself in their lives. I have challenges for you this morning. Alan Temple and wherever you're listening to online. Number one, who has God sent to you in your life that doesn't know Jesus as well as you do? Who has God sent you in your family who may be a prodigal at this point? Will you respond in grace? Will you respond with enablement and call that grace? Will you respond with rejection, judgment? Or will you respond in that beautiful mixture of grace and truth and integrity? Will you respond? 
the daughter-in-law, the son-in-law, the in-law, the this, that, and the other law. You know, God has sent you all together. Are we escaping? Are we escaping? Are we making excuses for why we can't work it out with the other? Have you brought the best of Jesus to that rep uh, relationship? That's just starting in your personal realm. Corporately here, are you allowing Pastor Hugh to send you to where his heart longs for you to go as he aligns with the word of God? I sensed wisdom and authority over in this section of the, uh, of the church when I was watching everyone worship and worshiping myself. All that's going to be needed. All that's going to be needed in the days ahead to recraft the vision for the church for today's and tomorrow's context. So if, if the Latino context is 20% today, what's it going to be next year, 10 years from now? Are we prepared to hold on to the best of what God has deposited in this tradition and allow God to add the new in? Are we prepared? Today we're sending a team to Guatemala. They've said yes and amen to the sending of God. How has God sent you to the ends of the earth? Maybe he's not sending you physically. Is he sending you to be a supportive um, person in, the, in, that, in that project? Anthony, when I saw you this morning, I, I just got the sense that God is calling you from a mid-pew scenario to a front, a front pew in the Lord, to learn at the master's feet, to dig down, dig deeper in the capacity God has already laid up for you for the advance of the kingdom. From the middle row to the front row is the calling so that you can be sent to be effective for multiplication of the kingdom, for the care of God's people, for the care of God's people. Well. I saw Nate over here, and I went and uh, shook his hand and got his name. I sense for you, Nate, the sending of God is to a generation. The sending of God is not to be a, a, a just a, a be a church guy, but it's to be a bridge between the generation who has lost connection with the people of God, the things of God, the word of God, sent you to be that ambassador in between the church and the not yet believer. Will you agree to be ready? I saw Noel and Joy in the back, um, and it, was, it started... The unfolding for me started when I saw them. You know, I, I can't just make this stuff up. Mm -hmm. it, it just started when I saw you guys raise your, your bodies in worship, standing up to worship. First thing I saw, they were holding hands in worship. Wow. I'm like, wow, that's wonderful. And then while their hands were holded, uh, held, held this way, both their other hands went up high in worship. You know that you're a sign and a foretaste of what God wants to do in this church, in your neighborhood, and in the world. And the sign is this. That which has been broken, 
God is bringing together. That is which has been divided, hurt, and diminished. God is restoring and bringing back together and reconciling. You guys are a sign for what God wants to do in a present progressive sense. Okay? What's the metaphor of the holding of the hands and, the, and uh, you know, together and raising them up on high? It's the reconciliation between God and people and between people and one another. First, beginning with our interpersonal relationships and then moving out from there. There's calling and destiny upon each of you here today. It's a calling first to God to know the riches of Christ, know Christ more deeply, and to become aware of how God has gifted you and called you to the work of the ministry. Don't be fooled by the white robes to think well. that these are the only people that are called to be in ministry. No. God has given to the church, it says in Ephesians 4, apostles, prophet, evangelist, teacher, and shepherd. We've made those in the church, capital A, apostle, capital P, all that stuff, the office. We associate it with power and position. Okay, put that to the side for a minute. Think of these as giftings and functions that God has given his people for the building up uh, of the church in the character of Christ, in the calling, in the mission of God to make Christ, his truth and his grace known in, Ju in Jerusalem, your city, people like you, Judea, people like you a little further away, Samaria, people not like you and not so, not so close, and people to the ends of the earth, different culture, different race, different ethnicity. Takes a lot to do that because God will have to break down your rigid categories with social stuff and expand your mind. Ephesians 1 talks about that. Uh, Paul talks about that, that, that you may have your hearts enlarged. In the Hebrew thinking, heart is a combination of thinking and emotions, soul, your mind, everything, that you would be enlarged. This sermon title was God Sends. I wish there would be a title at the end. And here, if there was a title at the end, going from God Sends, Rise and Go. It was to Peter uh, that after that dream of the sheet coming down, he said, Rise, Kill, and Eat. Messing up his social category, his ritualistic categories of kosher, non-kosher. Then when he's praying up on the roof, he says to Peter, rise and go down. Get off your religious pedestal up there. Get off, get off. You've spent enough time in prayer with me. Now it's time to rise and go, go down with those men. In other words, come down from our high horse. We can look, read it that way. Come down from that spiritual place where we got enriched by God. But that getting enriched by God is to go out into the world. Rise and go down and accompany these men, for God has sent these men. The final word is this. Rise and go. Make Christ known.
in your relationships at home, in your family. Make the love, the grace, the truth, the mercy, the compassion, the justice, the reconciliation. Make Christ known in your family, your relationships, your workplace, your neighborhood, your city, the world. Amen? Amen. Rise and go. Amen. Amen.